everybody. Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang. And we're going to mix things up a little bit this week. Uh, by the time you listen to this episode, the Tour de France will just about be winding down. And as many of us have been pretty Tour de France heavy over the past few weeks, I figured it'd be time to mix it up a bit. Uh, in this deep dive episode, I chat with Carl Strong, Jared Nelson, and Luke Middlestadt from Pursuit Cycles, which is the new carbon fiber offshoot of Carl Strong, who some of you may know from his titanium frame brand, Strong Frames. Now, Carl has been in the titanium custom frame business for quite a long time now, you know, almost three decades at this point. And to go from titanium to carbon fiber is quite a big leap. You know, custom frame builders, you know, it's not unheard of for them to take a turn every now and then, move to a slightly different material, kind of take a different tack, that sort of thing. But to move from metal to composites is a complete about face. You know, don't worry, Strong Frames isn't going anywhere. But Pursuit, in that it is a completely new endeavor, in, and particularly for a hand-built carbon frame, what's interesting is that they're using molded construction, not tube-to-tube, -tube, which is more conducive to small batch manufacturing. Anyway, I wanted to get Carl's take, uh, and also Jared and Luke, uh, I wanted to get their take on you know, kind of how this whole thing came to be, you know, some of the difficulties of starting up a totally new carbon fiber manufacturing company, uh, and sort of, you know, where all this is going to go, some of the challenges they faced, and what makes their stuff different. So sit back and take a listen. I hope you find the conversation interesting. I certainly did. If you happen to be listening to this episode on cyclingtips.com, feel free to leave us a comment or question in the section below. Otherwise, if you have any other questions, you can find me on Slack, if you are a member of our Bella Club membership program, or you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Angry Asian uh, if you have any questions. So feel free to fire away. And in the meantime, hope you enjoy the conversation and we will see you next week after the tour is over. If you guys wouldn't mind just introducing yourselves and what you do, that would be, that'd be good. Okay. Hey, I'm Carl Strong with Strong Frames and Pursuit Cycles, Frame Builder. Um, I'm Jared Nelson. I am the Director of Engineering with Pursuit Cycles, um, and I'm also a uh, hold a faculty position at Keene State College. And my name is Luke Middlestadt. I am the Production Manager at Pursuit Cycles. Cool. Well, thanks for thanks for all of you making the time to be on this show, and welcome to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. Uh, Carl, I want to start with you. Um, now, you've been doing titanium frames under the, the under your name, Carl Strong, Strong Frames. Um, and, you know, you've been doing that quite successfully, I might add, for, you know, almost 30 years. You know, especially now, I'd say, you know, titanium's re very widely regarded as being, you know, kind of a forever material. It's actually seemingly growing in popularity these days. There's all sorts of emerging technologies like 3D printing that are making those bikes, you know, really better than they've ever been. So why the interest in starting an entirely different brand and a different process with Pursuit Cycles and Carbon Fiber? Um, yeah, I get that question a lot. And, um, the, the way, the way I explain it, I guess, is one of my biggest interests in bicycles and making them and bicycle design has always been materials. When I started, we were doing lugged and Philip Brace steel, and then we went to TIG steel and then to aluminum when the, you know, the world tour was all on aluminum. And then, you know, now everybody's on carbon, and I just love to learn about materials, how to apply them, what the benefits are, um, um, and the drawbacks. Understanding how to take advantage of the strengths of the of the of the material, and and so it was just another challenge to uh, 
um, you know, this ongoing pursuit of always getting better at, you know, making bikes, designing bikes and building them, riding them, everything really. Was that sort of how the name came around then? Exactly how the name came around. Yeah, it's just the pursuit of always getting better. It was just continuing to graduate and move forward and progress and keep an open mind. Um, it's really easy to spend a lot of time doing one thing and getting really good at it and then just sort of focusing on it at the exclusion of everything that's happening around you in the world. And I wanted to, um, you know, keep my eyes wide open and embrace new things, especially if there was benefits um, to be had. Cool. I followed you for quite a while now. I've you know seen your stuff for God knows how many years now. Um, and I think you first started telling me about, you know, you starting to dabble in carbon, you know, 2016 or so, I think probably at the Handmade Bike Show that year. Um, how did, how'd you get started? Like what were your first steps in, you know, even just starting to play with carbon fiber? Yeah, the, um, well, actually Jared played a key role in that because, um, he, he was going to getting his, uh, PhD in mechanical engineering here at MSU in town. And, um, uh, I was exploring tube to tube construction under the strong frames brand. And so he came in as a consultant and helped me um, figure out some of the intricacies um, of that type of construction and layup and the, you know, using the materials. And um, so that, you know, and so we sold a few of those frames and actually uh, uh, did pretty well with them. But um, I, I shortly after that moved to a smaller shop and quit doing carbon fiber because there just wasn't enough space to um, keep the carbon fiber separated from the titanium. And there's sort of a um, contamination and hygiene issues that you have to be concerned with. Um, I mean, tube to tube construction seems to be sort of the the preferred way of doing things for you know people doing very low volume carbon fiber. Um, I guess just to to recap for people who don't understand or you know, aren't completely familiar with what tube to tube construction is for composites. I mean it's it's not that dissimilar from you know getting a, a, a TIG welded frame together. You have carbon fiber tubes. You you cut and miter them. You kind of you know join the pieces together. You you glue them at first, and then you wrap everything, you wrap all the joints around with with additional strips of carbon fiber, and then cure the whole thing. Um, you know, it's 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 conducive to low volume work because you know there's not a huge amount of tooling required, or you know, not as much as some other methods and that sort of thing. Those first frames that you did, you said they were tube to tube, but when did you decide to go the way that you are now? And Jared, I'm assuming that you had a big part to play in this. Um, I'm going to let Carl answer the first half of that question. Maybe all of it. Uh, yeah. So the, <laughs> it, well, I'll, 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 get, I'll, I'll get started. So basically, you know, doing a molded frame is a whole different level of investment in time and resources, um, you know, money, people, expertise. And um, I was lucky enough to have a relationship with Jared and um, Bill, who's not here with us, is a, a founding partner of this company. And... Um, you know, we just kind of kicked the idea around and just decided to go for it. We felt like there was um, uh, a, a lot to learn, a lot to do. There was advantages to it. And so we we went for it. And James, just I, I think to build on what you were saying a moment ago, um, you're absolutely right. You know, tube to tube is, is a wonderful construction method. 
Um, but it doesn't require the overhead. You know, it's on, on some level with significant know-how, you know, or some know-how at least, um, you know, you can get set up and do it in your garage um, and you can build yourself a nice frame. Um, I don't know if I should admit this, Carl, but uh, my wife is uh, still riding one of the tube-to-tube frames and loves it and will probably never give it up. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's a wonderful technology, but, you know, getting to the, uh, the molded technology that, that we've been able to develop, um, it really is that next step up and it, it really dives into the, you know, addressing some of the issues of consistency and some of the other things that uh, um, can, be, can be difficult to address when working with composites. So when you made the decision to go from tube to tube to molded construction, you know, like you said, there is a lot more investment involved. How how did the thought process go internally for you to, to kind of decide, like, there are sufficiently substantial gains to be made with going with a molded frame over a tube to tube. So in your head, you were able to justify that additional cost. I mean, how did that thought process work? Oh, I you know, I'm not even sure I know. I guess, you know, when when... I started building bikes. The best bikes were made by frame builders. And um, as the manufacturers got better and better at producing high-quality metal bikes, the, um, the custom builders were sort of um, had to resort to offering more uniqueness or more creative or more artisanal qualities to, to be competitive. And um, so I wanted to bring in that, you know, unique, creative, artisanal um, attention to detail and craft and couple it with the, you know, the latest, most high tech manufacturing, Um, because I, you know, people have this uh, this feeling that, you know, these bikes are just being popped out of molds in Asia and, you know, they're a dime a dozen and there's no value in them or little value in them. And, you know, these bikes are really hard to make. And um, the, the Asian manufacturers are doing a, a really great job. But um, we've gotten in, you know, this, this habit of believing the only good carbon bikes are coming out of Asia from these big, massive companies. And um, I wanted to prove to myself as much as anything that I could build a bike just as good um, if I put together the right team, but maybe even uh, uh, bring in some extra value through this really special um, level of attention to detail that you don't get with a a scale business. And then um, also adding levels of customization that don't currently exist with these, um, the the most high-tech construction methods that that um, the bigger companies are using, if that makes any sense. Totally. So I want to come back to a couple of those things that you that you just mentioned. Um, but Luke, if I if I could turn to you for a little bit here, could you go through a little bit about the process of how these frames are made? I mean, in terms of the, the general concept, um, is is the overall construction method really all that different from what you might see from a mass manufacturer? No, it's not. It's pretty similar to you know, how they are building a bike in Taiwan or China, elsewhere. Um, it is molded part. Ours is a tri-monocoque technology, we call it. It's a, lots of people build the front triangle in one piece. We build ours in a few pieces. It allows us to 
do a little different things and have some more flexibility with our layups and with our geometry and things like that. But on the whole, the um, the process of manufacturing the frames is generally the same. You get carbon fiber, usually pre-preg, pre-impregnated carbon fiber. Um, you have a mandrel or a bladder or some such thing to wrap the carbon around. You put it in a mold, bake it, and out comes a carbon fiber part. Lots of times you just need to clean it up a little bit and uh, you glue them together one way or another. Right. And then usually, I mean, there's usually some sort of like overwrap on top of the joint or something, right? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. And that's, you know, just to make sure it all looks pretty at the end, I would say. Right. Right. Okay. So the general process is pretty much the same. Um, and I think a lot of people are familiar, at least a lot of people who are familiar with how carbon fiber frames are made would be familiar with what you were just talking about. Um, you know, Carl, you were talking about, you know, what you're able to offer as far as the the attention to detail and the customization and that sort of thing. I mean, it, it does sound like that really is what would set something like this apart, right? Because, you know, you're not doing like, you know, production runs of frames, right? You're, do, you're essentially building these to order. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So every single frame is made specifically for the individual that um, bought it. And we have a relationship with these people and we have a process that we take them through. And I believe the process is every bit as valuable as the end product itself. And it's the same for strong frames. You, um, uh, you, you go through this process, and in this process, you get to learn a lot. It, uh, it elevates your understanding of the bike that you're going to be receiving, gives you a, an added level of appreciation for the bike. Um, and the process also takes a lot of the fear out of ordering a custom bike sight unseen that you're not going to get for a while. So um, when you go through the process and you're involved in it and you have ownership in it, um, all these choices that you're making, you um, understand them, you feel confident in them, and you feel like uh, you, you believe or know that you're going to get you know, what, what you need or want. So when you say attention to detail and customization, what, what can you offer that you can't get in a, in a mass-produced frame? Um, so basically we do custom sizing, we use your fit and we can, we, we, we're not as, we don't have as blank a, a page as we would with a metal or a tube to tube bike. There is, you know, limitations, but there's quite a bit of, um, range within each set of limits. So we can give really good or if not perfect fit every time we can adjust the geometry to a certain degree. We tailor the layup to individuals that require that. Um, custom paint and completely custom parts specs. So you're not locked into one of six colors or one of three build kits. Um, so we get that, that top tube, head tube combination that you need for the right fit. And we adjust the, uh, um, the geometry so that you get the right saddle set back and things like that. So it's 99% pure custom. That last 1% is, um, is is not always available and then obviously we start with three models rather than just uh you know and with a pure custom i always say you're you know the customer is the model whatever we end up making is you know call it what you want but in pursuit we have the pure road the supple road and the all road and so those are kind of the starting points and that was actually intentional because we wanted to take a lot of the gray area away and tell people, this is what we want. This is what we like. These are what we believe are great bikes. We want to share this with you 
and we want to tailor it to fit you specifically, but we're sharing this um, design. It's something we're very proud of and feel very strongly that um, people will really enjoy. Um, you've got a, I mean, so so I've had a supple road here for test for quite a while that I'm quite overdue in sending back to you at this point. Sorry, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I will say like you know, the the fact that you are doing molded construction instead of tube to tube. I mean, you know, like with your titanium frames, you can do pretty much whatever you want with you know essentially one jig, right? Because you can pretty much adjust it to however you need it to be. Yeah. Um, with this sort of setup with molded construction, though, I mean you you have, you know, you're, you're kind of limited to the number of molds that you have. Um, and each one of those molds is quite expensive. Um, can, how are you able to, to kind of offer that sort of range of possibilities without, you know, you know, taking out an extra mortgage on the house, so to speak? Yeah, well, you know, what we did is we started with a smaller range and then we basically just as we continue to um, grow as a business, we just invest more and more money into these tools so we always are redesigning tools and adding tools, and um, it's just an just a constant ongoing thing. Tool design and um, purchasing is just part of the business. So would it be safe to say that you're still in sort of like the investment slash growth phase of the business now? Like you're 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 not you're not in the black yet. It sounds like no. I mean. We could be, but we, we're going to probably be in the investment and growth phase of this business for a long time because that's really kind of part of the fun for us. None of us, um, you know, none of the owners are doing this for the money. We're doing it because it's a passion project and we want to make good bikes. And so, you know, we're, I don't depend on it for an income, so I don't take money out, neither do the other owners. And so we just keep dumping it back in and we will into the foreseeable future. Cool. Um, yeah. you know, I know that you're using a fair bit of, well, I guess part of the attention to detail thing that you were talking about, um, I mean, we'll get into the, the carbon part of that in a minute, but I know that, you know, as compared to most mass manufactured, uh, molded carbon fiber frames, like if they have any metal in them, they're using aluminum. Um, I know a lot of them are not using metal at all, you know, partially, you know, ostensibly because it's lighter, but yeah, you know, there's also a manufacturing gain to be made there in the sense that you know your the process is easier and it's presumably a little bit less expensive at that point. Um, you seem to be going the other route because you're using a bunch of titanium inserts, like in the dropouts and then bottom bracket shell and stuff like that. So what what's the motivation there? I'm gonna jump in on, on that one, Carl, if you don't mind. Go for it. I think uh, you know, and, and the reason I'm jumping in ahead of Carl here is there there are a couple of reasons. Um, one is the quality of, of the material um, in and of itself, um, our belief in titanium um, and having those parts. And it, it matches the quality of the bike that we are trying to build, right? Having those, those parts be titanium. Um, it matches the fact that, you know, we want this, um, we are, we believe strongly in getting away from um, bikes being seen, particularly um, composite bikes being seen as just being disposable. Um, our, our bikes are, you know, we, we feel strongly that this is a bike that's going to last you a long time. Um, and so this, this is one of those areas of detail that we want to make sure, um, we are, are ensuring that high quality exists. Um, the other aspect is from a composites engineer, uh, or when I put my composites engineer hat on, um, titanium, stainless steel, those are really the only options. 
um, to, to work with uh, to put into a carbon fiber frame. Um, and you, you run into issues of um, corrosion, things like that, if, if you're not using the right material. And uh, it just it makes the process more robust uh, overall by having um, these parts be made of titanium. So um, Carl, feel free to jump in and add anything, uh, anything you'd like. Well, that's, that's all I'd say is that it produces a better product. It costs more money, but at our scale, it's, it's, it's not going to, you know, add up like it would for a larger company. I mean, a, a titanium bottom bracket is costs us I don't, 60 bucks or something like that. And then we have to cut most of it out. Um, so there's time there. And so, you know, if you did that, you know, a thousand times, it would really, you know, add up but at our small um output we can afford can afford to do it and we feel strongly that it's going to make a better bike and as a bike mechanic that you know um you you, you want to make these bikes so that they're um easy to work on practical to work on that you're not constantly um chasing down ghost noises and stuff like that um i find it kind of interesting that you know from looking at sort of the handmade world in general like you know a lot of the people who go after a custom bike um, out of whatever material. I mean, they're not necessarily looking for the absolute cutting edge in terms of like, you know, the absolute lightest or like the most arrow or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the thing may be. Um, and, you know, from, from what I can tell, I mean, it does seem like the sort of attributes that you're going for in this, in, in these frames is, it's very similar to what people would look for in, you know, a handmade frame out of, you know, titanium or steel or aluminum or whatever, um, you know, you're talking about, you know, kind of like long-term durability and serviceability and stuff like that. Um, in terms of carbon fiber, I mean, a lot of those customers do seem to be a little different. It seems like, you know, when people are looking at carbon fiber, I guess, you know, a lot of them almost sort of by definition are looking for something more on that cutting edge of technology. So how do you, you know, how do you kind of market or communicate the kind of more like longer term durability sort of aspect of something like this versus something that I don't know, like a tarmac or a Madone or whatever. We probably haven't done a very good job of it. You know, we've shared with uh, people via our website that, you know, we do these things because they matter. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we we are still cutting edge, and I think we are light and competitive. You know, our lighter extra lights are are seven hundred grams, and uh, an average road bike is uh, eight fifty. Um, and so I think basically what we're doing is we're we are the cutting edge, but we're just adding on a little bit of. Uh, um, icing on the top that others just won't do because of the cost. So I'm trying to communicate that, hey, we are cutting edge. You know, we might not have this giant company with, you know, um, you know like a, a row of a hundred ovens in it or platen presses or whatever. But what we are is we're, a, if you took any shop in Asia and you took one work station out, that's what we are is we're that single workstation. So we do, we use all the same processes, all the same technology and all the same tools is, is the biggest, greatest, most technologically advanced bike makers, but we just have one workstation. And then we focus that effort on that one individual customer. 
Uh, I'm kind of curious, how long did it take to kind of get to where you are right now? I mean, I'm assuming this is still a constantly evolving process, but um, I mean, how long did it take? I mean, how many tries essentially did did it take to get to a point that you were happy with? I mean, what 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 is sort of the ultimate goal for all of this? Um, well, it took a lot of tries. I mean, you know, even as early as a couple years ago, we had like a 50% rejection rate. So basically you have a rejection rate and you're just trying to get it as low as possible. And so, um, it's, it's, you know, at 50%, it wasn't very sustainable, but now it's so much lower that, um, it is sustainable. But I think that, the, um, that, you know, the goal for all of this is just to make the best bike in the world you know by by our definition of you know what what our value system is it's ride quality is number one not lightness you know it, whenever you hear man, manufacturers talk about their bike is you know 40 grams lighter and two percent stiffer neither one of those qualities is appealing to us we want a light overall bike but we want that bike to be comfortable and feel great, you know. And sometimes that means having a little extra material for mass stamping. Because when you get rid of too much material or you use too high a modulus, and all of a sudden you got this buzzy little thing that just doesn't feel great. Um, Jared, I'm kind of curious. Actually, Jared and Luke, um, I mean, a lot of the manufacturing with carbon fiber, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the getting it right part is is not so much you know, messing around with the initial ingredients, but more like, you know, the, the more subtleties like time and temperature and, and, you know, things like that. So uh, how did you figure out, I guess, was it just through trial and error, essentially? Like, how, how did you figure out how to get it to where you want it to be? Um, James, that's a great question. I think um, the, you know, kind of big picture, if we step back and look at the design process, um, we believe strongly that in order to match our name, and that is, you know, that, that pursuit that we are in, we need to continually utilize that cycle. And so to get where we are, yes, there's been trial and error um, and so forth, but we've done a lot of validation through testing. Um, we take a very engineered approach to how we uh, um, not only... Uh, handle our manufacturing, not only how we design our plies, um, our manufacturing process, how we lay things up, you know, our entire process is, uh, is you know, it, it's very constrained, right? Um, and that's intentional. Um, to, to get to that point, it, it was not a happy accident, right? Yes, we, again, you know, our design, we used uh, several different design methodologies, but the strongest one that we used was design and test, um, right? And then, and learn from that test and say, okay, does this validate the result that we want? Or do we go back and, you know, make this adjustment to, uh, to get to where we need to be? Um, and to, to Carl's point of that rejection rate of a few years ago, um, you know, we, <laughs> to give Luke a pat on the back here as well, we are, that's old news. You know, we, that's in the rear view at this point. We are, uh, we're not seeing anything, anything like that. Um, and, you know, it's, our, our process is, is strong and robust um, because of that learning process and because of that uh, going through um, that learning process from those frames and, and those, not even frames, from those parts that we made and, and learned from every step of the way. How many frames ended up in the dumpster? Well, we broke a number of them on purpose during testing. Um, 
And as for frames in the dumpster, I don't know. Early on, hard to say. <laughs> I don't know that we built up a lot of um, bad frames because it's just not worth it at that point. But there's always a learning curve in starting out something new and having part defects and things like that before you get the process dialed. But I mean, going off of what Jared said, again, that was all a lot of testing and design intent. And then even now with ongoing improvement, I mean, Pursuit's motto is always get better. And we're always working towards that. Um, Jared and I work closely and with Carl as well. Like if there's any issues like, oh, this tall person's bike is harder to build than the short person's bike. Like, why is that? How can we make this process easier, smoother? You know, even little things like that, that the customer won't see, but affects us on the back end. even, you know, we're always trying to get smoother and better and make a better product. Cool. Uh, I guess, again, I can't, hence the name. Yeah. Um, so coming back to what I was talking about earlier on, um, there is this notion, uh, and Carl, you mentioned this too. There is this notion, uh, from some people that carbon fiber is, pretty easy to work with or it's not really that involved you know not really that technically demanding um you know I, I can't remember which one of you said this but like you could presumably do a tube to tube carbon fiber frame in your garage um and you know my hats off to folks like you know like matt appleman and and um you know nick crumpton guys like that i mean just people who have been doing the tube to tube thing for a while and have kind of stuck stuck at it and you know put in the time and effort to really refine the process um, but for, for someone listening to this podcast, who's maybe been thinking about making their own carbon frame from scratch, that's maybe not a tube to tube frame. What advice would you give them and how big a bucket of money would they have to show up with in order to even <laughs> just get started? Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big challenge. I mean, having a lot of experience making metal bikes at all sorts of levels of production, I was completely unprepared for the uh, um, amount of expertise that this required. It's, there's not a lot of individual people that probably possess the full range of skills they would need to do it. It's really to be done right. I think it takes a few people with very specific um expertise to do it really well you know you have to have a person that does all the 3d modeling um, that's a really time-consuming process and it's a creative artistic process on our design engineer jeff wyatt we're we're lucky to have him here locally he's phenomenal um, and then uh then you get into the you know the the testing test design test analysis designing the uh, layup schedules experimenting with all of the different characteristics of different layup schedules and, and and then ultimately when the parts are made you get to making a bike and that's where the frame builder person comes in you know it's like making sure the wheels between you know lined up between the stays and I mean, just the most basic things that haunt every frame builder um, are, are stacked on top of that. So you've got this kind of the way I describe it is if you were a frame builder, but you started out with a quarry and you had to make the alloys and draw the tubes. You know, it's like you're, you have to make your own raw materials and it's it's a, a big responsibility to do that um, in a way that you can um, assure the safety of the of the final product. 
So we're talking more than a that more than a Home Depot five gallon bucket of money. Yeah, I would say it's getting up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I spent. I think when I started Strong Frames, you know, it was a couple thousand dollars. So you you couldn't do this with a couple thousand bucks. That's for sure. Right, and then you add in, you know, Jared with a with a PhD looking at this sort of thing. And Luke, I'm not sure what your background is, but um, I mean, I'm assuming it's some sort of engineering background. Yeah, that's correct. Mechanical engineering. Yeah. So, you know, toss in a bunch of people who have a whole lot of experience or at least expertise in doing this sort of thing. And it seems like I'm going to need a little bit more than just my garage and a little bit of money. It, it adds up. It really does. And, you know, that's to, you know, you, you do have these rare people that maybe they have a CNC in their garage and they know how to model and they're willing to take it on and they'll do a simple like quasi layup or something like that. But um, uh, there's very few people like that. And if you wanted to offer a broad range of sizes um, with uh, you have to have a tool for you have to have a lot of tools, a lot of them, and they're expensive. Got it. Yeah. Well, I got a Dremel and a bunch of plywood and spare, spare scrap lumber and, and, a, and, a, and a pretty decent oven in the kitchen. So I'm just going to go ahead and have that and then we can compare later. Yeah, okay, let's do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. <laughs> uh, I, I, I dare say it might not be rideable. With the current lumber market, you might do better to sell the lumber and use that to uh, as an as starter money. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yep, indeed. Well, cool. Carl, Jared, Luke, thanks so much for being on the show with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. I will get this bike back to you very, very soon because uh, I'm at this point pretty much done with it. I will say it's it's quite nice. So that review is going to be hitting very soon. Oh, good. Um, We're and excited. Yeah. And again, thanks again for the time. And uh, for anyone listening to the show, if you have any questions, feel free to drop them in the comments below. Uh, and otherwise, uh, hope you enjoyed listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks again. Thank you, James. Thanks, James. Thank you. Thank you.